The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Yeah, you want to say, aw. Go ahead. Well, we are in the fifth week of a series through Psalm 23. If you've missed any of this because of vacation or out of town, or maybe you're here for the first couple times, go to our website, listen to the podcast as we have stepped through every verse of Psalm 23. Psalm 23 was, was written by King David after he was king, so he's, he is writing from the perspective of a lot of life experience. And in that life experience, because before he was king, he was a shepherd, he is comparing God to a shepherd and comparing himself, us, to sheep. And as he goes through this psalm, he's constantly reminding us that we have this shepherd that's out to take care of us. This is a very calming section of scripture that if you're going through a difficult time in life, this is, this is something to read and memorize and read over and over again if you're going through a difficult time or if you just want that extra charge that God really is looking out for you. God really does care about what happens in your life just like a shepherd cares for his sheep. I have a confession to make. I believe that the world would be a better place if I were in control. <laughs> and if you were honest, you probably think the same thing. If the world would just see politics the way I see it, wouldn't it be better? If the world would just see this or that or whatever, the way you see it, and you were in charge, wouldn't you just feel like, yes, now Donnie's in charge of the world, it's better for Donnie anyway, and if you were in charge of the world, you would think it would be better for you. Imagine you got that chance to be in charge of the world, and anything you ever wanted, you know that still wouldn't fulfill you? That as much as we think, if I can just get what I want, and I can just create the kind of environment that I want, if I can just get there, then I'll be happy you still wouldn't be. See, in our culture, we think happiness is this, you know, 60 seconds in the microwave. If I can just achieve this or get there or make something happen really fast and profitable or get the best relationship I could have ever imagined, if I can just get to those things, achieve this status, this recognition, if people, everybody starts to think I'm awesome, then life is going to go well for me. But that's not how happiness works. And in this section of scripture today, of Psalm 23, we're now into verse 5. David is taking us to a place that is beyond happiness. He's taking us to a place where we can be truly fulfilled no matter what's going on around us. Wouldn't you love to have that? 
No matter what the economy looks like, no matter what our health looks like, no matter what uh, relationships are, no matter what's happening to us in life, we can be at this place where we can be fulfilled. And this psalm is written by a man who had made mistakes, had done really bad things, had had bad things happen to him, and yet he could say in Psalm 23, verse 5, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Those are words from a person, from a man who is filled up, who's satisfied. And I think that's what we're all really looking for in life is this place of, of satisfaction, to be filled up. And just like throughout the beginning of, of Psalm 23, David is still going with this analogy of a shepherd and his sheep. Now, if you go home, if you're the kind of person that says, I want to make sure what the pastor says was true, which all of you should do, you go home and you start Googling it, you may find that some commentators or some theologians say that at this point, David stops talking about sheep and shepherds and he moves into this kingly language. And it's about 50-50 what people, what scholars would say. And I, I think he's still talking about sheep because it fits so well with what he started with saying, the Lord is my shepherd. So if you're a shepherd, and I don't think you are, I don't think, you may not even know a shepherd. You probably don't. But here's, here's what shepherds want to make sure happens. They want to make sure that their sheep, that their herd isn't aggravated. They want to make sure their herd isn't nervous. They want to make sure they're not scared. They want to make sure that they are trusting him as their shepherd. So that's the goal of a shepherd. I want to make sure my sheep are well taken care of. I want to make sure that they know where they can come for protection. I want to make sure that they're not living out there just scared to death all the time. I want them to have a peaceful life. That's what the sh a shepherd wants. Now, sheep, which is what David is comparing us to, when they, get, when they get skittish, when they get nervous or scared, the reason a shepherd wants them to not be that way is because they do really stupid things. A sheep would run off the end of a cliff, just run right off the end of a cliff. A sheep will beat its head against a tree or a rock if they get really agitated. They're not really smart. And so the shepherd wants to make sure that he's got them calm so they don't do stupid things. A shepherd wants to make sure they trust him so they're not just out there scared to death and starting to do stupid things. I mean, is that not us or what? I mean, do, I mean, the stupidest things I ever did was when I was afraid, when I was scared, when I was trying to make sure that the future was the way I wanted it to be. When I was trying to be in control, I would get really scared because it wasn't going the way I wanted it to go. And then guess what? I would do something really stupid. And that's how we all are. When we get scared and we get this anxiety inside of us, our ability to make decisions wisely goes out the door. But God says, I, I want to be your shepherd. I want to fill you up. Some, some commentators say that David in Psalm 23 is covering an entire year in the life of a shepherd and his sheep. In these six verses from 
the winter to the spring. And in this section, in verse 5, it would have been the summertime when it was hot. And David says, you prepare. Anybody in here a real organized person? You don't have to raise your hand, but you know, and you know if you live with one that's like really organized. They put their keys in the same place every day. I mean, how exciting is that? I mean, part of the fun's looking for them, right? It keeps things exciting. When my wife and I first started dating, uh, we were getting a snack one day, and I remember this. We were I, I, in her apartment or at, at her home. I can't remember where we were, but she, we, uh, we had some M&Ms. And, you know, when I eat M&Ms, I just go at it, you know, like everybody does. But not some people. Do you know some people arrange their M&Ms in colors? <laughs> now, tell the truth. Who, who does that? Well, you're just sitting there. You line them up in colors, and you eat them one at a time. Tell the truth. All right. Some people in here actually do that. Now, one M&M is like, I don't even taste one M&M, right? <laughs> like, you can't even taste it till you got a big handful. And who cares what color it is? They all taste the same, by the way, okay? <laughs> Doesn't matter what color it is. They all taste the same. But she had this really organized way of eating her M&Ms. Well, David is giving us this picture of God as a shepherd who is very organized in the way he arranges things for us. These first two words, you prepare. The word prepare comes from a Hebrew word, arak, A-R-A-K. And it means literally to lay in order, to stretch out in a line. It's a picture of sequential organization. So when you look back at your life, I, I, like I told you my life story and I started when I was very young and I said, I remember this happened and I remember that happened. And then I could look back at all of these episodes in my life and I could say, you know, God worked through that. God worked in spite of that. God used that to grow me. God used that to teach me up until today. And if you're a follower of Christ, you can probably look back and see some of the things you thought were bad were not really bad because God used them or they were bad and God used them in spite of them being bad to bring you where you are today. See, God is a God of sequential order. And that's what David is trying to say. You prepare, you put things in order. So when you look out into the future, if you're really anxious about it, if you're really scared, like what's going to happen next and how's this going to work and what if the news is this and what if this person wins or loses or whatever, God is saying, would you just settle down because I prepare for you. I am a God that puts things in logical and sequential order. And that's what David is saying. It leads you to a place where David was of his cup overflowing, of him saying everything is great because God is overflowing joy into my life. That's what he wants to do for all of us. So David says, hey God, you, you prepare. And in this section, it's interesting that David stops saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And he starts, instead of telling people about God, he turns it and starts talking directly to God. Because at this point, he is an old man looking back at the sequence of events in his life that now he can see God was working there. God was working in spite of that. And God was working in this step. And it brought me to where I am today, David would say, where my cup is overflowing. Because now, on the back end of everything, I understand how God was working all along the way. So God 
you prepare. You prepare for me. And he's sticking with this sheep shepherd analogy and he says, you prepare a table before me. Last week we learned about how the shepherd walks his sheep through a dark valley and how he helps calm their fears and he helps keep them safe with his rod and his staff. And now the shepherd has gotten something else prepared for the sheep and that is a table. Now sheep don't eat at a table, but when they're talking about table, when he says table, he's referring to the table land, the tops of mountains, because this time of the year, it would have been really dry in the low elevations and up in the higher elevations, they would have gotten some more humidity and the, the green grass would have been growing. And so he's taking them through the dark valley up to this table land. If you go to the, out in the west of the our country today, and you start looking around at mountains in Arizona, what word are you going to hear before too long? Mesa. Mesa, just, it's a mountain. It's a high, flat mountain. It means it's table. So the shepherd is preparing the mesa, the tableland, for the sheep. He's going ahead of them, and he's getting prepared the top of this mountain, this summer field, so they can go and graze and be full. If you're taking notes, write this down. God sets things in order for me to experience a life of joy. See, God being our shepherd with much care goes ahead of us and puts things in order. Even though we don't understand it, but God is saying, I have this life for you that can be a full life. I've prepared for you and he prepared for us by sending Jesus so our sins can be forgiven, so we can have this promise that we have eternal life, and God has gone before us and prepared all of that. Jesus even said, I've come that you can have life in John 10, and you can have it to the full. So David is talking about this full life. Jesus comes along and says, I can give you this full life. I've set things in order. Now you might be here sitting there today going, oh, that's great, but I just don't feel full. I feel kind of empty. I feel kind of drained. I feel lonely. I feel defeated. But God has set things in order so you don't have to feel that way. A lot of times we end up feeling that way because our lives are focused in this area of I'm going to find happiness no matter what. When God, like a shepherd, has gone before us to prepare so we can have a full life. You know, a shepherd would show up on the tableland, on the mesa, on the top of the mountain. And he would begin to prepare this field for the sheep to come and graze. He would go up there by himself and do this work. And on top of the mountains there in the Middle East, there were these plants that grew that they were beautiful plants. They looked a lot like some of the plants that grew down in the valleys that the sheep would eat. But some of the plants on the top of the mountain were poisonous. And if the sheep would get there and see these plants that looked really tasty, they would go eat them and they would die. Potentially, there are all these plants that could kill the sheep. So, so the shepherd would get there before them and he would bundle up all of these plants. He would pull all the weeds and get all the poisonous stuff out of the way and he would take them, burn them, throw them over the hill and get them out of the way so the sheep didn't eat them. Now to the sheep, these plants looked, they looked good. If you could read a sheep's thought, you can imagine they've come up this mountain, they've come through a dark valley and they look and they go, that looks really good. You know, if they're talking if, among each other, it's like, hey, you try it first. <laughs> 
And if you make it, and I'll have one. I mean, they, they go straight. The sheep tend to go straight for the stuff that will do them the most harm. Are we more like sheep or what? Don't we do that? Don't we go straight for the stuff that will, we think is going to fill us up, but in the end it really does more harm in our quest for happiness? Write this down. Just because something makes me happy doesn't mean that it will bring me joy. It doesn't mean it's going to fill me up. You know, the, the word happiness it, it literally means favored by fortune, fortunate, or lucky. It comes from this Latin word, hap, that means luck of the draw. It's just luck of the draw. Sometimes you get it, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. That's what happiness is. So if happiness is what I'm going for, if the poisonous plant is what I want to eat, the problem with happiness is it doesn't last past the first bad day. I mean, you've met people like you never know what they're going to be like. One day, if everything goes well, if there was no traffic, if the songs they wanted to hear was on, were on the radio, if they did not have an argument with their husband, wife, or children in the morning before they got there, if they had just the right amount of caffeine intake on the way to work, they're really happy, right? And you just love the day and you enjoy being around them, but there's this other day where things didn't go right in the morning. Maybe they overslept. Then they had a traffic jam. They couldn't stop at Starbucks and get their favorite $5 drink. And they get there and they're like, a wreck. And they're horrible to be around. And if your boss is in here, you know, don't raise your hand. But we, trust me, we all have to deal with that. And happiness doesn't last past the first time the relationship is in, in, in a valley. It doesn't last past the first time the bank account is empty, the first time we lose our job, the first time the, the economy takes a nose. Happiness just doesn't last and David is trying to say, God offers us, our shepherd offers us so much more. I wish I could recount all the times someone has, has sat in my office and said, I know God just wants me to be happy. And the things I have heard people justify just because God wanted them to be happy. And I had to think about what would the consequences be if I slapped this person in the side of the face <laughs> when they say that. I've never done it, but internally I'm like, I cannot believe you're saying that and trying to justify it, and I realize the consequences would be too great, so I don't do it literally, but in my head, I'm like, would you wake up? God doesn't really care if you're happy or not. God wants you to be full. He wants you to have a full life. He wants you to have joy. He wants you to have something that in spite of everything that's going on around you, you can say, my life is full. Yes, things bad have happened. Yeah, things have happened bad outside of me. Things have happened bad because I've done it. But you know what? I am full. In our first service, we have a whole bunch of teenagers that sit down here. And, and this morning I said, look, the, the, the thing you guys can get is if you can understand that the biggest thing you can do in life of course, accept Christ, cultivate that relationship with him. But the biggest thing you can do is take action that will minimize regret, right? Us with a little less hair, a little grayer hair, right? Do things that minimize regret because you're going to mess up. You're going to make mistakes. So intentionally, as you're younger, do things that will bring the least amount of regret as you go forward in life. Because we all get wherever we are and we look back and go, man, I wish I hadn't done that. That was stupid. Why did I do that? I wish I had made that decision differently. So you want to do things to minimize that. 
And one of the things that will bring you the most regret in life is to chase after happiness, is to think that when I achieve something in life, that's what's going to bring me happiness. That's what's going to fill me up. Now, we live in a world that is completely opposite from that. We live in a world that every commercial, every advertisement, everything says, if you achieve this or buy this, then you'll be happy. I'm generally a very content person when it comes to the things I have. There's things about life I'm not content about, but there's generally when it comes to material things, I, I'm, I do pretty good at staying content, except for toys. I mean, I, this, um, I got this about a year ago. Well, a little less than a year ago when the 4S Siri first came out. And uh, it brought me a lot of happiness. A lot of you have justified toys. Say, honey, it'll make me more organized and it's only 200 bucks. Would you please just, just let me get one, right? You probably used that argument and, and said that things will be different. Once I get that, mm, you just got to understand. And for a few days, it's fun. It's cool. And, but, but even this can tell you that it won't bring happiness. Because you know what's going to happen in about three months? There's going to be a five. And it's going to be bigger and better and faster. And I'm going to be like, what a piece of junk. How, how am I getting through life with this thing? Listen to this. Now, this bit me first service when I tried this. I'm going to try it again. Can you make me happy? No, I can't. Look at that. Think of that. So... This, it tells you itself it can't bring happiness. And yet we think that in, and that's just a small $200 example, but just imagine all of the things that we think could bring us happiness. If you could ask that car or that bank account or that job, job, could you make me happy? It's going to say, no, I can't. I can probably let you do some really cool things and let you have a lot of fun, but I cannot bring you happiness. And David is saying, your shepherd wants to take you to a place and guide you through a journey that will fill you up. And chasing after just the things that will make you happy won't get you there. Just like sheep running to the attractive flowers thinking, this is going to fill me up. And yet, it kills them. We run to things all the time and think this is going to fill me up. And then a little bit, bit of us die. And then we think, no, no, that didn't fill me up. So this is, and a little bit more of us dies. Until we're not full, we're spiritually dead, and we just long to be fulfilled. And David is telling us, this is how you can be fulfilled. And we settle for so much less than what God has planned for us. Author and theologian C.S. Lewis in his book, The Weight of Glory, says this. Indeed, if we consider the promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling around with ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Just like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. And see, God has prepared something great for us that fills us up, that brings us joy. And David says, just trust him. He says, God, 
you're my shepherd. You, you prepare for me a table. He goes ahead and prepares. Not only that, in the presence of my enemies. When a shepherd would go up on the mountain and he would pick all of the poisonous weeds, then he would set up a boundary. He would build this fence to keep the sheep contained because there were enemies out there. There were wolves. There were, other, there were lions. There were mountain lions that would really love to have a sheep over for dinner, if you know what I'm saying. And the shepherd would set up this boundary where he could see where they were and they would be protected. Author Philip Keller, who was also a shepherd by trade, who wrote a book called A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm, says that he would occasionally lose a sheep to a mountain lion. But he goes on to say, it was nearly always the ones who were outside of the boundaries that he had set up. He called them fence crawlers. These fence crawlers that were not content to stay within the boundaries that he had set up. See, God has set up some boundaries and told us how to live and, and told us how we need to act and interact with people and gave, given us a very clear moral guide for how we are supposed to live life. But some people, most people, end up being a fence crawler. And when they know the boundary is right there, they're like, all right, I want to just check this out and see what's on the other side. I mean, most of us are like that. Every mistake morally that I've made, every other mistake that I've made has been because I'm on the boundary or over the boundary just being a fence crawler. The sheep that were fence crawlers, they got picked off and eaten for dinner by a mountain lion. When we're fence crawlers, there's a much more lethal enemy out there for us. It's called, he's called the devil and he's real. Satan is a real being out to do you harm. In fact, the Bible talks about him in 1 Peter 5 verse 8. Here's what it says about our predator. Be alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. And see, there's this outward danger that if we're too close to the boundary, we will get pulled on the other side. We will get taken out. The relationship will end. We'll say things like, well, God just wants me to be happy, so I'm, you know, I'm going to leave my wife, my husband, my family, whatever. Or I can, I can stop at any time. Anytime I can stop doing this. I, don't have, I won't look anymore. I won't drink anymore. I won't whatever anymore. I can stop anytime I want. Stop telling me I have a problem. Those are words from a fence crawler that can be just taken out spiritually. And there's usually a lot of collateral damage when a person gets right up against the fence or crosses over the fence and begins getting devoured by the enemy. There's also another thing that happens. There's that outward danger of fence crawling, but there's also the inward danger. The, the people that aren't quite, aren't quite there where they can step over the fence and get outside the fence, but they just kind of gaze over there and go, wow, that looks great over there. See, fence crawling can take you out, but fence crawling can also cause you to be discontent, to not enjoy what you have, to not enjoy the great gift God has given you in your husband or wife, in your, in your children, in the job that you do have. See, fence crawling can make you look over there and go, man, if I had that, life would be different. If I only had that much money, if I only had, if my husband looked like that, we'd never argue. Trust me, you know. If my wife could just be like her, woo-wee. 
would be different. So fence crawling can affect you outwardly and it can affect you inwardly. And just like the shepherd would set up boundaries to protect the sheep, God has set up boundaries to protect us. If you don't write anything else down today, write this down. I need boundaries. Our world's not very happy with boundaries and they're not very popular to say, hey, there, there are boundaries and there's some absolutes. No, no, no. Everybody gets to determine that on their own. No, God's pretty clear where the boundaries are that keep us safe. So, God, you prepare a table for me. You make a way for me to have a full life. You do this in the presence of my enemies. You set up boundaries to keep me safe. The last thing David says is, God, you anoint me with oil. Now, that phrase doesn't mean anything really in our culture, anoint me with oil. What does that mean? If, if you came over to my house and I started pouring, pouring oil on your head, you would think, all right, what's the deal? I don't get this. But when you read about anointing with oil, specifically in the Old Testament, it was the sign of the Spirit of God. It was a sign of comfort. And a shepherd, when he would get these sheep up on the top of this tableland, on this mesa, there were a lot of insects in the air. And there's this one particular fly that would literally fly up the nostril of a sheep. They got these big old nostrils and the flies would fly up there and they would lay eggs. And it's kind of gross to explain the whole thing. But it would end, they would, eggs would end up hatching and it would drive the sheep mad. This is when they would beat their head against a rock to just relieve all the pain and the itching and all the stuff going on in their heads. They would, sometimes they would, they would just run off the end of a cliff. Anything to just ease the pain. To just stop the aggravation. Just so they're not agitated anymore. But the shepherd would take this mixture of oil and spices. And he would bring the sheep to him. And he would very carefully rub it all over their face and all over their head. And it would repel the flies. And then the sheep could be calm. So the sheep could be full. See, God has sent his Holy Spirit through Christ to anoint us with his comfort. When you hear anointing today, if you turn on the TV and you see a televangelist talking about it, he's just talking about something he can sell you that's anointed so you can pay for it and he can get money. But anointing meant the presence and covering of the Holy Spirit. In the New Testament book of James, it says that if you're sick, to call the elders of the church to anoint you with oil and pray over you. And that's talking about being spiritually sick and, and anointing a person with oil is just a symbol that the Holy Spirit's covering is over that person bringing comfort. Ceasing what annoys you and what makes you agitated and, and, and really what just makes you anxious inside. His Spirit can do that. And David says, when that happens, my cup overflows. When you've prepared for me this table and you've protected me from my enemies and you, you anoint my head with oil, your spirit comes over me in a way that, that slows down the anxiety, that helps me think clearly, that helps me enjoy all that you have for me. When that happens, it goes beyond happiness. It goes to this full life. The full life that Jesus promised us when he said, I'm here so you can have not just a life, but life to the full. True joy is having inner peace 
in spite of what's going on around me. I've sat with people who have experienced very difficult times in life, tragedies going on in their life, sometimes death, bankruptcy, relationships ending. And the people who understand this anointing that comes from God, this covering of peace from his spirit that comes to all who follow Christ, they handle those situations completely differently. Even though there's this pain and this hurt, there's still this filling that happens, this fulfillment that keeps them understanding that my shepherd has gone before me and set things in order so I can be full. That's the full life that Christ invites all of us to live. You're here because something's lacking. That's why you're here. That's why I'm here. That's why I pick up his word because I'm like, something's lacking. I gotta, I gotta really get something. That's why you're here. You, you want something. You need something. And God has that for you. And that's the invitation he gives to all of us. Come and enjoy the full life. If you want to know more about how do I get in on that, just come and talk to me or Joel after the service. We would love to guide you through what a decision to accept this full life that God offers means and tell you what you need to do. If you already know what you need to do and you've done it and you haven't been living the full life, back up off the fence. Let his spirit anoint you, come over you with peace and comfort and be full of joy. And then your cup can overflow. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this analogy of of how you comfort us when life gets tough. Comfort us when we make mistakes and how you, in a very calculated way, prepare the best life for us. God, may each of us take hold of that. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.